right, it's a it's a Wednesday. It's f- at uh, five o'clock. It's the fan drive time. It's Sports Center Five Nine. The fan. It's it's Ben Ennis. It's Blake Murphy, and it's it's a strange time to be watching very intense sporting events, especially baseball games. But that's where we are right now, Blake. The the World Baseball Classic uh, on Sportsnet One right now sees Canada trailing Mexico three two as they play in the top of the sixth inning. It's essentially a winner-go-home affair. There is a scenario in which nah. Mexico can win, and then, uh, yeah, Colombia beats the United States, and then some bizarro tiebreaker scenario takes Canada through. It's winner-go-home. It's winner-go-home for Canada because the scenario in which the U.S. lost to Colombia in dramatic enough fashion for Canada to sneak through is like the U.S. would have to have an all-time collapse and yes. then basically walk <laughs> off the field with everyone except their pitcher and their pitcher's just like throwing batting practice like like the u.s has done because they limited canada so tightly in yeah. that first game um and the the tiebreaker once you get past head-to-head stuff is how many runs you allowed on a per in on a per out basis because yes. there have been mercy rules and stuff like that uh canada doesn't have much of a prayer no, they don't. So, uh, win or go home. And and after two uh, horrible games from an aesthetic perspective, uh, not so much a results perspective because Canada hammered Great Britain in the first game, but the second game, you got no aesthetic pleasure out of losing to the Americans, and you got pounded, mercy rule style. The last two games have been awesome. Really, really entertaining. And I, I guess the Colombians would say that the, the game yesterday wasn't, so exciting. I would disagree. Even in a 5 nothing game, it was blown open in the ninth inning uh, by a, a guy that could be on the Blue Jays come the end of this month in Otto Lopez with a three-run home run uh, to make it 5 nothing. And then this game, we're into the sixth inning. It's a one-run game. This is a Mexican team that beat the Americans. Of course, nothing makes any sense because Colombia also beat Mexico. So, yeah, go, go figure that one out. But this is... Everything I could have possibly wanted out of this tournament, just to even get this game, to get this moment in the middle of March as we wait for the start of the regular season is incredible, Blake. I agree. My only complaint with this game would be that these teams' jerseys are almost identical. Oh, my God. Right down to the <laughs> uh, to the level that, like, even the managers look the same. Like, <laughs> yes. like I... I believe it's not rick renteria anymore who's whoever's managing for mexico it's looks benji like, gill I think. ah he looks like roughly like ernie witt but latin american um they have the same goatee and everything and they're wearing the exact same clothing it's uh that part is a little odd i also uh, have a lot of appreciation for uh trejo here uh, just wasting a whole bunch of strikes trying to bunt with a runner on first base and he strikes out. So there you go. No, it's 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 great. All right. So Canada um, has, I mean, they've been able to put up runs. It's safe for the American game. And they, they faced Lance Lynn, who was at his best, went five innings, just giving up the one run in that game. But you, you figured going into this tournament, this Canadian team would be able to score some runs and put some hits together. And they've had traffic on the base pass basically every single inning through the five that they've batted. Edouard Julien leading off has been like a breakout star, a guy who could be you know, a, a, a real fixture for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Owen Casey, Cubs prospect. He's had some moments at the bottom of this lineup. Tyler O'Neill, well-established major leaguer. But I mentioned it. The guy that broke the game open yesterday who had a huge hit at the early stages of this game in the bottom of the first inning after Canada gave up two runs in the top of the first. Looked like they might squander an opportunity. 
Otto Lopez comes up with what should have been a two-run single up the middle, except Abraham Toro didn't read it all that well, and it ended up just being a one-run single, and station-to-station baseball left the bases loaded with one out, and Canada could not capitalize. This guy was on our radar when Pat Borders mentioned him. He was on my radar yesterday when Arden Zwelling talked about the swing changes that he's been going through in Florida in spring training with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's right-handed. He plays everywhere. I know this feels like an in-the-moment thing, but it does feel like the the more we go along here, the more we see out of Otto Lopez, the more we talk to people who have who've seen him even closer than us watching him play at the WBC for Team Canada, really feels like there's a good chance that he is the 26th man for the Blue Jays come the start of the season. And Ben Nicholson-Smith had kind of laid it out heading into camp on the J.D. Bunkus podcast too, that he was kind of the most interesting guy, not only because of all the things you you just laid out, but because... You know, until they address it some other way via trade deadline or whatever, that's going to be a really interesting spot uh, for the Blue Jays. Um, the celebrations, by the way, at the World Baseball Classic killed me. Like the fans like pumping the tires uh, and everything. It, it's all very, uh, very fun. Um, Otto Lopez is someone who as far back as, you know, I guess a little before the Brandon Belt signing has looked like someone who, to me, was going to make the 26-man roster. I think you and I had talked about it a little bit, um, even, you know, looking ahead at the end of last season um, on Jay's Talk Plus, you know, did this who your 26-man is is not part of the dreaming on your off-season roster, but you do have to have a mind for, well, who internally makes the minimum and could play a role. And, and I think Otto Lopez is very interesting in that regard. I think it's very interesting that they've had him on the major league roster twice recently. And you hear a lot of things about the kind of intangibles he brings and a level of leadership. You maybe don't expect to hear from a 24 year old. Um, the approach that he brings to the park is, you know, as professional as the approach he brings to the plate to get kind of cliche about it. Um, he's a really well-liked guy. And I think you're seeing why here? I, I'm not sure there's a scenario where, you know, he'd jump Santiago Espinal as, hey, what if Bo Bichette needs a day off? Who's playing shortstop? No. But a guy who doesn't look that bad there can play second base, has experience all three outfield positions. Like, that's a really valuable skill set. It, it basically serves to, and I know we have 26-man rosters now, so this isn't a thing anymore, but something I used to look at in coming up with who would be the the 12th position player if you were carrying 13th pitchers is well can you merge two of those role players into one Mm -hmm. and he can kind of merge your utility infielder and utility outfielder into one if need be a little bit of pinch running you know not blazing speed but a little bit of pinch running value stole low double digits uh at pretty much every level of the minors i i think he's a guy and i i don't know that that'll translate to like i i don't know if there's a 2022 early season santiago espinal uh, breakout to him, but I think a guy who does everything on the diamond at a really solid level, even if he doesn't do anything spectacularly, is a really easy guy to find a place for and find a way to, you know, 150, 200 plate appearances over the course of a season. I love calling him a guy because there's two ways you can say, that he's a guy, or like, that guy's just a guy. Well, this is this is, uh, <laughs> it's like a U-shaped curve of being a guy. It's like on the way up, yeah. someone is a guy, uh, yeah. and then oh, he was just am- a guy. After a certain amount of time, <laughs> You deem him just the guy. So it's great. If you go from organizational depth to a guy, that's awesome. But yeah. what, like, this is Kevin Biggio's season, I think, where 
if he doesn't really show you something this year, then it's just he's just a guy. Mm. And where that becomes a negative is when we get into, okay, what's his next arbitration salary look like? Uh, what do you have to give up to get something in a deadline trade? That kind of stuff. When you are still pre-arb, being a guy is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. When you get into ARB 2, ARB 3 free agency, yeah. being yeah. just the guy is a curse. You need to graduate from guyness. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and no offense to Nathan Lucas, but I, and it's not his fault that he doesn't get to play in the, the World Baseball Classic or and is left handed. Yeah. <laughs> and is, yeah, or the infield. And Addison Barger uh, it does get to play in the infield, but is left handed. Um, that I put more stock into. Otto Lopez coming up with a huge three-run homer in the ninth inning of a game that is not yet decided or breaking open the scoring in a must-win game for Canada in the bottom of the first inning. Like, that's stuff that nobody else playing in the Grapefruit League is going to get an opportunity to do. And and we've talked ad nauseum about how you cannot carry over any numerical success that you have in spring training over to the regular season means nothing. There's just no correlation to that. And it's not like he's the, they're all facing Garrett Cole here every night in, night out uh, at the World Baseball Classic. But there's there's some talent, especially on this Mexican team. I mean, Jose Urquidy started this game, uh, and Team Canada was able to, to keep their heads afloat, even without Freddie Freeman, who, by the way, has gone back to Dodgers camp. I, I talked about this yesterday. It was like pretty clear once you leave a game with anything or any precautionary reason that your Major League Baseball team especially when your name is Freddie Freeman is going to say, thanks, but no thanks. Like that was great. Like what a, what a moment that he got to play for team Canada and, and all the, the, the warm and fuzzies that surround that. But no, uh, he's coming back to us. So he's done for the tournament, which raises an interesting question. And maybe this is a good transition into, into blue Jays chatter, but uh, Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic play a super exciting game after this one, another winner take uh, all game. The winner of that game will go through to the quarterfinals. The loser is headed home. Vlad made his, his return to spring training for the Blue Jays today, and he got a hit. He was one for three. And there's talk that he may return to – well, he, he never actually went to Dominican Republic camp, but he could join the Dominican Republic if they win today's game and advance to the knockout stage. How about the scenario of them losing to Puerto Rico, Canada winning this game, and the man who is a Canadian by birth, born in Montreal – suiting up for the first time for Team Canada in the quarterfinals as they make it through to the knockout stage for the first time in tournament history. I have been posting nonsense in the replies of Shai Davidi for days now, basically being, stop talking about Vlad joining Dominican Republic. He's going to uh, join Canada. I, I'll be completely honest. I don't even know if that is... Uh, who cares? Like, we know that guys can change <laughs> yes. which country they're playing for, tournament to tournament. Yep. I, I am unclear on whether never they would stop up for the that. DR. I, I am unclear on if they would allow that on the fly, but I think it would be very, very funny. Yeah. And amusing. And also, like, maybe even if, if you're worried about the fact that he just came back today, although he did have three plate appearances and played in the field, you could give him the, the Miguel Cabrera treatment. You're only allowed to pinch hit in high leverage spots. <laughs> it would be amazing, amazing, amazing. It would uh, take Canada having to, to come back from, again, this 3-2 deficit. Now, bases loaded, one out, top of the six for Randy Arena, looking to bust this game wide open. And it's not Matt Brash on the mound, and he just pounded one, just foul into Ooh. the second deck. <laughs> We're going to talk to Ryan Dempster. Yeah, it's Cade Smith on the mound, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I know they're they're saving Matt Brash for 
a potential save situation. This feels savey right here, Blake. To be honest, yeah, bases loaded against Randy Rosarena. I, <laughs> I don't have the. I don't even know if Fangraphs does the like live leverage stats for World Baseball Classic oh. games. Let me tell you right now, down one run, Randy Rosarena up with the bases loaded. There will be no higher leverage moment than this in this game yeah. for the for a Blue Jays pitcher. He almost hit it over the foul pole. Anyways, we're going to talk to uh, Ryan Dempster at the conclusion of this baseball oh, game, no. and there's a a looks like a bases clearing extra base. Oh, it definitely will be now. So it bounces away from. Uh, the left fielder, and Robson. that uh, that might do it. But uh, Randy Orozarena uh, has blown this game open a little bit for Mexico as they lead six two, top of the sixth inning, one out still. Is Canada hanging on for their World Baseball Classic lives? All right, so that's a bit of an air out of the balloon situation. Well, at least we don't have to now uh, <laughs> half do the show, half give pitch-by-pitch pitch updates on what's happening oh. on our TV screens. Man, there's some uh, some angry faces in that Canada clubhouse. How, how can you even tell? They're all behind luchador masks. <laughs> all right. Uh, we mentioned the Blue Jays played spring action today in Dunedin, beat the Pirates, because you play the same teams over and over and over and over and over again in Grapefruit League action. Um, and it's usually the Phillies, and sometimes it's the Pirates. Um, and then occasionally the Yankees. And then, you know what, they'll go to Sarasota, play the the Orioles tomorrow. But uh, as mentioned, Vlad was in the lineup. He went one for three with an RBI single and then lifted uh, after his three at-bats. What also stood out to me, Blake, was, okay, so there, there's some notable absences from the lineup. Uh, George Springer was not in there. Matt Chapman was not in there. But those guys had placeholders. Whit Merrifield was the de facto leadoff man. We all know George Springer is going to lead off for this team. I think there's real takeaways to be had to to look at Brandon Belt hitting in the cleanup spot, hitting fourth today as the DH, Alejandro Kirk hitting behind him in fifth, and then Dalton Varsho hitting sixth with Santiago Espinal playing third base, hitting seventh. I mean, the potential exists for Matt Chapman to hit seventh on this team if you want to break up the righties. Uh, I think the bigger takeaway, though, is Brandon Belt hitting fourth on opening day. I, I could see that one, too. So I, I'm, I'm a little torn on this one because... I think one, obviously you you want to structure the batting order where guys are comfortable in their spots. And if Vlad likes hitting third because, you know, when things got cooking last year, he liked being able to pick some stuff up from Bo Bichette's plate appearances from in the on-deck circle. Like that's the differences in optimizing your batting order are small enough game to game. They're, they're fractional that if Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and George Springer are, are most comfortable in those spots, that's the that's really can be the end of the conversation. The differences aren't that huge. If you wanted, though, to get deeper into the numbers and really overthink it, well, first of all, you probably want Vlad hitting fourth if Bo's second because second and fourth are statistically your most important spots in the lineup over the course of a whole season. The other thing with splitting them up second and fourth instead of having them go one, two, three is part of the value of having additional lefties in your lineup and lefties who can hit a little further up the lineup is making those late game decisions difficult for an opposing manager. And I think the way they're structured right now or the way they were structured today does not do that. You very clearly go with your best righty for the top of the order and then you turn it over to a lefty for four, five, six. And if the Jays have to pinch hit for Brandon Belt to get a right-handed bat in there, you're okay with that because it took Belt's bat out of the lineup. If the Jays, if you have to turn the platoon advantage in Alejandro Kirk's direction to get Belt out of there or get the lefty-lefty for Belt Varsho, you do that. Um, I, I I know traditionally 
we tend to think of the number three spot as, as where you hit your best player. I don't feel too strongly about batting order construction as long as your, your best guys are somewhere near the top. Mm. If you were going pure optimization and making things tough on an opposing manager, you would split Bo and Vlado. You know, and, and that belt Varsha would go 3-5 or 3-6 instead of 4-6. Yeah, you know what's also interesting is like the no shift thing. And yeah, I know that the two spot has, has huge import in baseball in, in 2023. But it used to be that you would have a left-handed hitter hitting second to shoot it through the hole on the right side with your leadoff man getting on. Like Brandon Belt hitting two with no shift, perhaps tempting. But Bo Bichette is also one of the best players they have at using all areas of the field yeah. anyway. And I think the counter to that would be if, you know, if you're going to bump Bo Bichette lower in the order and put a, a lesser hitter. And who knows? Maybe Brandon Belt is vintage Brandon Belt and he's not a lesser hitter against right-handed. Well, he, I, I don't think, like, even, like, I, I, limited expectations, Brandon Belt, he's going to have a, a pretty high on base percentage, I, I think. I think so. Right? And then, you know, this and this is where this stuff gets, you can get tripped up because then if you find a way to justify Brandon Belt in the two spot to break things up a little bit and get that OBP, but then you're clogging the base paths for Bo Bichette if you're going to green light Bo Bichette to run a little bit more which it looks like they've they've done this year um so maybe you like springer bow one two and, and the idea of kiermeyer's probably hitting ninth so you've got a bit a little a little bit of speed leading into the powerful part of your order um maybe that's some of the idea here with the construction as well um the truth is is like i have an opinion and a preference on these things but the the differences are pretty small on a game-to-game basis so yeah. I, I can't feel too strongly about it and if we're being honest it's going to change a bunch of times a hundred percent i'm a tiny, tiny bit surprised that Belt and Varsho are four six instead of three five or three six. Mm-hmm. And I, my guess would be, if we were down there to ask John Schneider about it today, it's that either they liked the way Bo and Vlad looked two three, or Vlad liked hitting three behind Bo two, and then that's it. Okay, that's worth the difference. Five seems pretty high to, to hit Varsho, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, but you could also hit him through. You could also go three six. Then you could mm-hmm. go because then it would go righty righty lefty righty righty lefty righty mm-hmm. righty lefty. Yep. Anyways, it's you, you know want what? Me to keep going. I could go ten eleven twelve with righty righty lefty <laughs> as well. That was very good. Um, ultimately, if you have good hitters and enough of them in your lineup, you should score a bunch of runs. There you uh, go, and you shouldn't get sequenced. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, Canada now trailing seven two to Mexico in this winner take all thing. Um, before we take the break, let's let's give. Uh, our due respect to the Raptors who beat the top team in the Western Conference yesterday, the Denver Nuggets, who have now lost four straight. And here's, Blake, like, we can talk about the Raptors. The Raptors are the Raptors, okay? And, you know, they're going to win some games, and occasionally they're going to hit some threes, and Fred was on fire yesterday, and OG's real good. We got that. To me, what's super interesting around the discussion uh, around yesterday's game and just the Nuggets overall right now is that Jokic was pretty Jokic-ish yesterday but people are so ready to turn on his MVP uh, is a MVP story, his narrative. And we've seen this late season narratives have carried players to the MVP and perhaps is going to remove the third straight one for Nikola Jokic. This team has lost four straight. They've been abominable defensively. They gave up 49 points to the Raptors in a quarter, which is a franchise mark. And I've 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 been monitoring the NBA MVP odds. Like his his odds are are dwindling by the day. He's still the favorite, but you see more and more Embiid conversation. You see more and more Giannis conversation. It like if this continues for 
any prolonged period of time. And four games, I guess, is pretty long, especially when you lose to the Raptors and the Spurs over that losing streak. Really does feel like this could get away from Jokic. It could. I think there is a, there's always going to be a narrative fatigue or narrative pushback when a guy is going toward his third in a row. We saw that in the Steve Nash years. We've seen that in a lot of years over in the history of the MVP award voting. Um, I don't subscribe to certain parts of the pushback. I, I think some issues have been raised that every voter should be mindful of and check in with themselves on. I also think the reality of this is when I sat down to do my second trimester MVP ballot with Tim Bontemps at ESPN, which we do three times a year. First of all, Jokic was not number one on my ballot in the first run. Mm -hmm. He was on the second run, but it was painful. Like Giannis and Embiid and a couple other guys have really strong cases. Um, And those cases have not gotten softer as the season's gone on. The Bucs went on that 16-game winning streak. And if you look on a per-minute basis, Giannis is... Every bit is impressive everywhere except assists, and he is far better defensively. Joel Embiid would tell you that he is Nikola Jokic too and just doesn't get uh, the same level of love. The Celtics, have, I, I don't think Jason Tatum carries that level of him Ness. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that uh, him? Yeah. Well, he he might be, but he doesn't. He's not in the conversation. Lowercase him. Yes, lowercase him. Um, and then, you know, there have been injuries and stuff like that. Steph Curry's back now, and if they make a little run, he's got the season-long kind of metric stuff that he could get in the conversation. I think really, though, Giannis and MB just have such strong cases as well, where in a lot of seasons, either one of them would be a no-doubt MVP. That, of course, I, I think the best thing is, is that this, for the MVP discussion, is that this Jokic slide, this Nugget slide, are going to make sure that voters check in with whether you know, had they locked it up in their head at the 20 games to go mark mm. that with five games to go or three games to go when they're filling out those ballots that they check in with that and make sure they still feel that way. Um, the other thing is maybe the Nuggets will just be super happy to be away from uh, the Raptors because, yeah, it's been a couple of tough games for their Jokic-oriented well, offense. Uh, so and, he's basically been getting... I was just going to say, and the, the the losing streak happened right after they came back against the Raptors in that game in Denver mm-hmm. that ended in a little bit of officiating controversy. Yeah, maybe they didn't like Mike Malone saying they got lucky after that one. That's the other element here is like, if I'm a, a Denver Nuggets fan, like, yeah, sure, you stand for your guy for MVP, whatever. My concern is that you were supposed to have been in the absolute best case scenario for a high seed in that you have the one seed locked up nice and early. You have a couple guys who've been banged up or coming off injuries and the games don't matter that much. You can be really slow and methodical about managing their workloads down the stretch. Um, Nothing's on the line for you. So you can focus on process and health and then somehow they're just unraveling and like not unraveling to the extent that they're losing some games and Oh, who cares? No unraveling to the extent that like, Michael Porter Jr. is taking shots at Mike Malone and like the Denver media is turning on Mike Malone in a season where not that long ago he was getting coach of the year buzz. Um, Their rotations look like disaster. Bruce Brown has become like borderline unplayable lately somehow. Uh, It's it's a it's an odd one. And not to mention that in the first round, they might have LeBron James and Anthony Davis or they might have. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, or they might have the defending champs uh, or they might have Luca and Kyrie to a lesser extent, but yeah. yeah.
it's a tough one. By the way, uh, four times in Jokic's last 11 games, has he not gotten a triple-double and two of those are against the Raptors? So basically been a, a near lock for a triple-double over the last couple of weeks again, as you'd expect for a guy averaging a triple-double. Yeah. Uh, except when he plays against the Raptors. He can't uh, – only 15 assists over those uh, – or seven, 16 assists, rather – over those two games. And I think last night, not that anyone needs a reminder, but there's a reminder coming at sportsnet.ca later this week about uh, not only is OG Ananobi extremely good and versatile defensively. Uh, I get into some of the metrics about just how wow factor OG's candidacy is for, if not defensive player of the year, all defense. Mm. Um, he also, I know he missed 14 games. He's like top 50 in minutes now on the season. Uh, the presumptive defensive player of the year favorite, Jaron Jackson Jr., is like 130th. How about so, that? If you're going to ding OG for games played, make sure yeah. you're looking at everyone. I, OG's not going to get defensive player of the year. Only one time ever has a guy on a losing team won defensive player of the year, um, and it was in the 80s. But he should definitely get all defense love. And yeah, two games doing a pretty damn good job limiting Jokic's touches. Hopefully, uh, look, if the voters for MVP are watching Nikola Jokic closely right now, as they should be down the stretch. They would have also seen two very, very good OG and an OB defensive performances. And uh, yeah, make sure he's uh, on that all defense ballot. All right. Uh, Canada trails Mexico seven to bottom six. Also. Um, yeah. So Matt Brash didn't get into this game. I don't know what the protocol is here with criticizing managers of the national team because Ernie Witt is like, yeah, he's a mainstay there and he's, he's answered the bell and, like uh, we said, that was kind of an important moment there with the bases loaded Randy uh, Rosarena up. Um, maybe we'll talk about that with Adnan Verk, but we'll also talk about the NFL news of the day that Aaron Rodgers is not a Jet today, but that's not because he doesn't want to be a Jet. In fact, he said explicitly he does on the Pat McAfee show today. So we'll talk to Adnan Verk about that. Plenty more next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ground ball. That's fair. Down the line. Arias scores. Thomas scores. Barnes coming home. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 59 the fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, and yeah. I mean, being an incredible comeback now. Canada hanging in, though, middle stages of this game. They were only trailing 3-2 with Jose Urquidy on the mound for Team Mexico, but Mexico with that Randy Arozarena three-run double blowing it open. It is now 7-2, top of the seventh in a winner-take-all game to wrap up pool play for both teams of the World Baseball Classic. Today in Arizona, Adnan Verk is with us now, MLB Network, NHL Network. That's like, man, this was, it was almost our greatest hour. Still might be, but holy, that was an exciting first five, six innings. Ben, Blake, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, I was listening to our buddy Sid Sixero, who's on my friend Max Bredos. The Max has a great soccer podcast. And in it, Sid was talking about how Canada always rallies around things on a national level. He's like, mm-hmm. the sport may not be huge. But if it's a national level, everyone gets into it. We are a very patriotic people. And to that end, 
I mean, three of us are obviously huge baseball fans. We'd watch no matter what. But I'm like, I'm just imagining. Imagine if Canada beats Mexico. Like, this is a Mexico team that took care of the USA. Mm-hmm. My buddy Dero has got no pitching on that team, aside from Adam Wainwright, who might be my age at this point. And Mexico beat them 7-1. If Canada can beat them, I'm like, man, this is historic. Like, anytime you can get behind a national cause, first time ever the quarterfinals, it'll be worth applauding. And then, like you said, Randy or Rosemary just foiled that. I, myself, was busy running around with the kids. I literally turned on the TV in the sixth inning. And I'm like, oh, 3-2. I'm like, all right. I was listening in the car a little bit earlier. I heard when I cut to 2-1. And then once I saw Aris Reina, by the way, almost hit a home run. I yes. I saw it went foul first. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, well, now it's going to go the other way. We'll strike him out. No, actually, base is clearing. And that pretty much feels like ball game. I mean, it's uh, it's painful just because you want to see something different. And, and on both levels, one, to beat Mexico would have been huge. But to also just get to the quarterfinals and show some progress. Otherwise, it, it just feels like it's... It's same old, same old. And, of course, I was locked in the USA Canada the other night. Poor Mitch White. I mean, this kid's 19 years old, just getting blitzed by that incredible USA lineup. So it's been tough if you're a Canadian baseball fan. Yeah, and there are little parts of the tournament that are are fun, of course, and the wins and the moments are nice. Um, How do you or how do we really evaluate where Canada's at when, you know, obviously this tournament format makes it hard to get through. It, it makes it kind of the, the tournament of weird stuff happening happening and unexpected things having um, outsized swings. But this is five appearances now where Canada has done okay but not really made some noise. Um, do you think that this program should feel some pressure next time out? Not that, I mean, you can't really overhaul it. It's not a, not a, a soccer-level established World Cup and lead-up and everything like that, but... You know, it is a, a little bit gutting that as fun as each tournament's been, as big moments as most of the tournaments have have, uh, Canada's kind of just also ran, also ran, also ran. Yeah, and that's where it gets frustrating. You used to say, hey, there has been development. There has been upside when it comes to Canadian baseball. But we don't have a full deck, and particularly when it comes to pitching, is where you really start to feel it. Like, it'd be nice if Josh Naylor was there. Part of Mississauga. We got Bo Naylor there. And obviously it's a huge boom that Freddie Freeman plays for Canada, even though he's American, of course, honoring his father and his late mother passed away when he was 10 years old. But ultimately, you've got to get more talent overall, and particularly when it comes to that pitching staff. And ultimately, I think, Blake, you're judged by results. You know, Again, the World Baseball Classic is not at the level of the World Cup in soccer or the Olympics and other major events at an international level. But again, if you're a Canadian baseball fan, you go, hey, I just want to see progress. Like There has to be some sort of development in the positive direction. If we end up looking at this and saying, ah, got blown out against USA, got beat up pretty good against Mexico after Rosarina empty the bases, ends up being like you know, 10-2 or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, we beat Great Britain, but where are we going to get better? Only two teams are going to get better out of this pool, and we're never going to beat the USA. So I think it's, it's fair to ask that question, right? It's okay to say, hey, Canada was an underdog to get out of the pool. Yeah, we got that. But we'd like to be able to get there somehow. So what can we do to improve that? Um, obviously, those steps need to be taken. Yeah, we need to have a summit, baseball summit, where everybody gets <laughs> together. We, we figure out who our, our, our strongest left-handed people are, our kids. Uh, and we've, we just send them towards, I don't know, throwing camp or something. We just need pitchers because, honestly, you look at this lineup and there, there's a bunch of like highly touted prospects and, and Owen Casey and Edward Julian. It's just it's the pitching. But, yeah, like you said, everybody kind of needs pitching in this tournament, in, including uh, – uh, uh, Mark DeRosa's uh, American squad. Uh, who knows? Maybe there's a comeback still to come in this team. But yeah, uh, Mexico with runners on second and third, none out in the uh, top of the seventh as well. All right, I want to talk a little football with you, Adnan, because massive, massive news. That news gets broken uh, on the Pat McAfee show on YouTube, which I guess is 
not unexpected because Aaron Rodgers does uh, a weekly hit with him, but announced today that he intends to play for the New York Jets next season. Uh, that's all well and good, but his team, his former team, I suppose, or current team still officially in the Green Bay Packers and the New York Jets need to figure out compensation, which is super complicated. I mean, who has the leverage in this thing if 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 you're you're hearing the principal moving part here say that he intends to go to another team? Yeah, it's first off to your point, I wish I had some sort of news to break on my weekly hit with you guys, but yeah. Aaron Rodgers is a little more cash. Work on that. PA. As soon as they said he was – because, you know, if he had ducked it for a little bit, I'm like, okay, he's still in the, the darkness retreat. But once they said Rodgers was coming on, I'm like, okay, it's now a fait accompli, as everybody has been suggesting. It, it was nice that at least Rodgers did confirm it. And taking shots at Adam Schefter and Dan Rossini. What a line to Adam Schefter. Like, when, when Schefter got a hold of me, it was like, hey, lose my number. Like, this is not true that I'm I'm asking for certain people. Like, I'm not some sort of – it's not – how do you phrase it? People want these things to be true. I'm in this being dressed in ceremonial regalia, giving them some sort of handwritten note on parchment to demand a list of people they need to sign. See, one thing for Aaron Rodgers, that's a good vocabulary. The fact yeah. you dropped regalia and parchment. I'm like, all right, clearly an intelligent guy. I don't like his thoughts on, on uh, you know, being vaccinated and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, but anyways, back to your point. It is going to be a challenge. Like, it's one thing to go, well, I want to go to the Jets and we're going to make it happen. Yeah, but, like, you are under contract with the Packers. And these numbers better gigantic. Like, I looked it up. I'm like, $59.4 million guaranteed in salary and bonus this season. Most of it made up of a $58.3 million bonus due no later than week one of this season. The Packers absorbed $40 million in dead money on their salary cap if they trade Rodgers before June 1st because his bonus money is prorated. Again, 15.8 goes against the Jets, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, this is not as simple as, I don't want to be here anymore, I'm going to get traded. And I'm with you that I think the team has more leverage. Now, Rodgers might try to say he does for this very simple reason. If you don't trade me, I'll just retire, and then you get nothing. Like, all right, that's fine. But I think it's more the team, because we know Rodgers still wants to play. He's not going to retire. He's 39 years old. He's still got, I would say, three years left in him, at least two. So... I think the Packers know that, hey, we're going we're gonna to get some value here, man. You're a four-time MVP, for God's sakes. And you're making it clear to everybody that's where you want to go. Again, we appreciate the transparency. Thanks for letting us know. But we have to make sure this is a deal that's going to work out for us. And I never thought Nathaniel Hackett would be such a key piece of this. The Jets' offensive coordinator recently hired, who was the Packers' offensive coordinator from 2019 to 2021. That's when Rodgers won his third and fourth MVPs. I never thought a guy with a name like Nathaniel Hackett, who sounds like he's straight out of the War of 1812 or like the Plains of Abraham, like he's the critical piece. They got Hackett, then they're going to get Rodgers. They signed Lazard. We're going to get all these. They got Randall Cobb, OBJ's going to be on the list. So we'll see. But it, it goes back to your point. This is not as clear cut as some may think. This, this will probably be a win-win situation. Rodgers gets to go where he wants to go. Of course, the Jets finally get a Super Bowl player. I mean, they're 14-1 to right now to win the Super Bowl. At that price, only five teams have better odds than the Jets. That's amazing. They entered the offseason 30-1. to They're now 14-1. to The only teams ahead of them, Chiefs, 49ers, Bills, Eagles, and Bengals. And that feels about right. You go, yeah, they're probably the fourth best in the AFC because they do have a great defense. And then they get the superstar quarterback in Rodgers. But, of course, the Packers know that too. So they're not going to give them up for nothing. Just because he doesn't want to be here, we're still going to get something after 15 years of the Packers 
Um, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how this all unfolds. Yeah, well, when you're a quarterback away from the looks of it and then you can get this level of quarterback, the odds should swing. Um, you left the best name out of all of them, out of the out of the mix there, Adnan. Mercedes Lewis, my my guy oh, yeah. from uh, the Jacksonville days. Obviously, we don't need to talk about, you know, Mercedes Lewis's fit on the Jets necessarily. But do you think that the, like, if the Jets are this far down the line with it and haven't addressed the quarterback position elsewhere, like, they, they do seem pretty committed to Aaron Rodgers and maybe they don't have uh, a ton of leverage here when the Packers push them up against it. But does it give you a little bit of pause if you're the Jets, the, the Aaron Rodgers of it all, not only the you know, kind of walking through these teams' negotiations live on air today for everyone, but also, you know, the fact that he's not even there yet and he's kind of giving you a free agent wish list of guys that I don't know if I'm that front office that's built this nice young core that's a quarterback away really needs all that much advice on which uh, old wide receivers and tight ends to get. Like, there is an element of, or I guess what I'm asking is, is there an element of Aaron Rodgers could be a little too extra at some point and maybe the jets uh, get paused or, or is it, you know, we're this far down the line. He's Aaron Rodgers. I, I'm overthinking it here. It's the latter. You're overthinking <laughs> it. Listen, I know plenty of jets fans in this area. This is a franchise where they're still talking about Namath. I mean, they haven't won a super bowl since super bowl three and they haven't even had like immeasurable success. Like, yeah, back to back AFC championship games with Mark Sanchez and the butt fumble and our buddy Rex Ryan as the head coach, that feels like decades ago. I think it's only one decade ago, but it feels like 20 years ago. Like it's, it's been a lot of futility for this Jets team. So, I mean, you hear Aaron, when you told me this a few months ago, Aaron Rodgers, the Jets, they're dreaming. Like they have to make a deal with Beelzebub to get this guy to come to New York. Why would Aaron Rodgers want to come to the Jets? Are you kidding? Like this is a franchise known for losing yeah, it's New York, but New York is, you know, the team you want really want to be on is the Giants. They got Daniel Jones locked up. So I'm like, for Rodgers, he'll go to the Raiders. Like, he gets to go, you know, get reunited with Devontae Adams, and, and that'll be that. I'm like, the, the Jets, I mean, that's just one of those teams that's normally known as a laughing stock and a punching bag. So once it started to turn around, I don't know Rodgers does want to come here. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that is, as you said, it's just it's just great great morale boost for the Jets, right? They, they're known for being a doormat and getting beaten up. They had a great start to the season, couldn't come through because the offense is bad. Everyone knows they whiffed horribly on Zach Wilson as the number one overall pick. It's like we can get one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Like, sign me up. They don't care what they have to give up, right? If you sit tomorrow to Jets fans, you have to give up three number one picks. I don't care. I'm getting Aaron Rodgers. And right. I said, he's going to play three years. Like, I don't think he's a guy who's, like, one and done. Like, Tom Brady played until he was 45. Rodgers is 39. I'm thinking at least three or four years, especially because a change of scenery would seemingly reignite him. Like, unless it goes really porous, he goes to the Jets and just despises his life and hates being with New York and the team's bad, and Rodgers quits after you. That's not going to happen. Like, you're getting minimum two, probably three years. Again, young defensive core, team on the rise, and you get a four-time MVP, they will sell their soul to get this guy. There's a reason why, why Woody Johnson went in the play. Like, hey, whatever you need, man. Like, they met for like 10 hours. I'm sure he told Aaron Rodgers, okay, I don't promise all of this, but I'll do what I can. I'll get you Alan Lazard. I'll get you Odell Beckham Jr. And if I can get you Randall Cobb, Mercedes Lewis, even better. Uh, and I, I know the Packers didn't make the playoffs last year. They were a win uh, over the Lions away from making the playoffs in, in week 18. But there's another huge name quarterback departing the NFC. Should the NFC just fold, right? Like, Or should they just hand it over to either the, the Niners or the Eagles? It really, man, all the Bears and the Bears, I suppose, were going to go worst to first in that division. Possibly. I mean, with the haul they got from the Panthers for the first overall pick and Justin Fields look like looks legit. But especially in that in that conference where it's 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 super wide open. 
it, it really, I mean, we, we do this in all sports, whether it's the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference, but it does feel like we're in the era of the AFC right now, Adnan. Without question, Ben, and I love it as an Eagles fan because I worry, okay, what happens all the turnover right now? We've got to make decisions. Darius Slay's about to be released from his contract. This guy's a five-time Pro Bowler, but the Eagles had to pay him $17 million non-guaranteed. They couldn't make it work, so see ya. We do resign Bradbury, of course, our other corner, who's younger. Slay's 32 years old, but Hargraves have incredible. Like, he had a fantastic year for the Eagles, and he just signed with the rival 49ers for like $80 million. So, as an Eagles fan, I'm like thrilled. Go, great. Aaron Rodgers out of here. I can't remove the Packers off one less team to worry about, but it definitely feels like the era of the AFC. Chiefs prohibitive favorites again. One of these days, the Bills will get past them, and the Bengals have already proven that they can do that, and we're in a Super Bowl. So, I. Even with Aaron Rodgers and whatever number of players they get. By the way, I mentioned Odell Beckham. Anything you look at, his asking price probably too rich right now for the Jets. I mean, they're, they're pretty much up against it in the cap. So I don't think he's going to get OBJ, even though Rodgers has a great friendship with him. But ultimately, those three teams the AFC, absolutely better than them. And as the three of us know, there's always a surprise team, right? You go, hey, where the hell did you know Jacksonville come from? Or whatever team starts to push towards the playoffs. So it's not guaranteed the Jets are that much better. But at least on paper... I don't think Rodgers lost much. Yes, they should have won that game against the Lions and made the playoffs. Kind of embarrassing yep. that they lost that game. He was Rambo, bad in that game, too. Yeah. And that's part of it, Ben. Like, yeah, I, I get tired sometimes all the excuses we make for Rodgers, right? We go, oh, man, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, won a Super Bowl, four MVPs. I'm like, yeah, but he, but he loses some games. Like, let's be honest, this whole Lambo mystique, like the next time I had to hear about Aaron Rodgers at Lambo, I'm like, no, that was a Sunday night. The game was freezing. They're at home, and the Lions with nothing to play for beat them. So, like, yeah. this guy does lay down once in a while. Like, I don't. I, th- this trade will make the Jets contenders, absolutely. But I'm not ready to hand over a Super Bowl to them. Of course not. Like, I'll still take Mahomes and Burrow and Allen. As I said, maybe a surprise from the AFC ahead of these guys. So uh, it, it definitely feels like the AFC gets stronger. And for the NFC, it, it really does feel like it's Eagles and Niners and then everybody else. Um, Ezekiel Elliott is going to be cut as well by by Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, which is understandable. They already franchised Tony Pollard. Um, yeah, but we, we've seen... I mean, Austin Eckler, he wants out because, you know what, Chargers aren't going to pay him. I, I think, are we officially done with, with teams overvaluing running backs, even great ones, knowing that eventually that fades and it's just easier to pick up later in the draft? Yeah, it used to always be, Ben, at 30, right? That was the age, but 30-year-old running back, no chance he's going to get a long-term deal, big money deal. And now I feel like it's even younger. Like now Miles Sanders is tweeting goodbye to the city of Philadelphia. He was only there four years. I'm like, wait, what? Like, like, like that's how quickly it becomes, eh, we got four years with this guy. Miles Sanders was a pro bowler. He was our featured back, but we got other options. Boston Scott's coming back on a one-year deal. We signed Rashad Penny, who's a good running back when he's healthy. He's only played about half of his games in the NFL that were available to him. But eh, we'll just mix another guy. Like, let's just go with a three-headed monster rather than pay one guy. So it, it definitely has become more like that. I mean, as far as a running back that actually gets paid, it, it's so rare. Like, it, it feels like it's like Derrick Henry and that's it. Like, you really have three or four years, and that's it, to, to get paid. And once you do, they just move on elsewhere. And Zeke's another example of a guy with the Cowboys who put up some monster seasons. There's no question about it. But now when he starts to get more expensive, look, you know what? We're already paying Dak a lot. just doesn't make sense. We can just move on. So I think you're right. The, the era of the running back being uh, undervalued becomes probably more steep because people will go, they're not that important. As you said, sixth-round pick, we'll get a running back. It's more about the offensive line. It's more about the system. And we'd rather spend on the quarterback, the wide receivers, and the left tackle. Uh, before we let you go, let's let's put a cap on the Oscars as everything, everywhere, all at once won all of them. They won seven. Like all the above-the-line <laughs> categories they were nominated in, 
they won them all, which means, I mean, we should maybe view that film in reverential uh, in, in reverential fashion, like, are, are we going to look back in 10, 20 years and 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 think, boy, that was a, a little too much pomp and circumstance for that film, or will that stand the test of time, do you think? I think it's the first one. A friend of mine said to me 10 years from now, when the American Film Institute releases their 100 top films of all time, isn't it a guarantee this will be the top 10? I go, are you kidding me? Like, slow down. I go, the top 10 is, you can't even break that top 10. It's The Godfather, it's Got All the Wind, it's Casablanca, like, forget it. And by the way, other films that have been as honored as this, for example, Sons of the Lambs, won all those major, as you put it, above-the-line categories. In this case, for Sons of the Lambs, picture, director, actor, actress, screenplay. Sons of the Lambs is not the top 10 movies of all time. Like, if you check the AFI list, I think it's in the top 100. But I'm going to say it's probably in the 75 to 90 range. So I think Everything Ever All at Once is a terrific movie. I think it's a benefit of the fact it was a very weak year for movies. Well, the weaker years of memory that I can remember. I hope this is a stronger year. Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Obviously, I cannot wait to see Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Um, Giamatti and Alexander Painter reuniting the guys from Sideways. So I have good confidence this year will be better. But to your point... Just because you won seven Oscars, this does not make this one of the best movies of all time. Although it certainly is historic to win six of the seven major categories. The only one they're missing in is actor. Again, it was a bad year for movies. And the movie is excellent and benefits from being very audacious and very original. And when you watch his movies, as many as people do in the Academy, you just get tired of the same old stuff, right? You just get tired of the MCU and you get tired of all these Marvel movies. Although it's ironic, this is a movie that still kind of feels like a superhero movie, right? You're going through different dimensions like The Matrix. Michelle Yeoh is a superhero as she was with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or any of these Marvel movies that you see. So even in an era in which you get tired of superhero movies, that movie is kind of like a Marvel-adjacent movie in terms of the, the plot, the science fiction, all the rest of it. But listen, I think it's an excellent movie. I prefer The Banshees of Anna Sharon myself. I, I'm upset the Banshees went 0 for 9. I'm happy Jenny the Donkey got a shout-out. I thought the Oscar ceremony itself was terrific. Jimmy Kimmel was very funny. Especially loved his Robert Blake joke. Like, I love anything where the audience cringes, because that, to me, is just funny. Robert Blake, by the way, I mean, you can look up the story, but it was, it was a great line by Kimmel, and he addressed the slap the way he should have. And ultimately, I think the winners were deserving. Nothing better than Brendan Fraser winning for the whale. Of course, Canadian, right? Dad lived in Canada for many, many years. I saw Kevin Weeks sent me a video of him at Upper Canada College. Yeah, he was reflecting right. on his time there. Yeah, fantastic. And going back to his roots. So that's a good win for us. And of course, Toronto's Sarah Pauly winning for Women Talking, Best Adapted Screenplay. I love Sarah Pauly. Of course, we love the movie Go, her relationship with Adam and Goy in those movies. But I got to tell you, it's a, it's a pretty dry movie. I can't imagine Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy firing up Women Talking. <laughs> As I said to a friend of mine, it is just dot, dot, dot women talking like if you want two hours of women talking let's go for it but good for Sarah Paul I enjoyed it but I'm predisposed to enjoy a movie from anyone who like I've seen on Ossington before and uh <laughs> and, and look if anything though that Oscars moment did make me want to fire up a rewatch of go more than anything yes. because that's uh that's an all-time Stories we tell is spectacular if you haven't seen her documentary it's I incredible uh, yeah. And I know Adnan has, but yeah, no, she's uh, she's great and uh, looking good in in her tuxedo as well. Uh, Adnan, appreciate the time as always, buddy. Next time we got to talk Hugh Grant, Ashley Graham. For the record, I'm on oh, Team yes. Grant. If you ask a bad question, <laughs> you're going to get a bad answer. Yeah, uh, no doubt. See you, buddy. See you, boys. Adnan Virk, MLB Network, NHL Network. I was not familiar with uh, the the woman who was interviewing Hugh Grant. Uh, he, Ashley Graham, I think your name is. You do you know what we're talking about here? No. Oh, okay. 
Anyways, it was an interview before the Oscar ceremony where she was just going to ask her questions. She was just going to plow through whatever response she got because she knew nothing of Hugh Grant or of what she spoke. And then Hugh Grant obviously picked up on that and like was not having it. And it was a little bit of an embarrassing moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like this, where you're asking me about this moment and I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I wouldn't say that I was embarrassed. And I think I wrapped it up in, in pretty uh, oh, short order. No, it would be me that's embarrassed. Not you. Oh, okay. Are you embarrassed? Well, no, because I'm not faking it. But in a scenario where I tried to play along as if I knew what you guys were talking about, and then you went on about it, uh, yeah, you can get caught in uh, faking it real easy. Yeah, you sure can. So uh, kids out there, try not to fake it. Um, I'm not going to fake it in that I'm not going to tell you that I'm expecting a comeback for Canada against Mexico. It's just... It's not going to happen, Blake. It's not. Although the thing to watch in this game at this point, as he signs autographs during oh, a, a live pitching change, uh, <laughs> Randy Rosarena closing in on the, like, uh, it, it's still the group stage, and he's closing in on the all-time World Baseball Classic record for RBI in one tournament. I thought you were going to say last at bat got plunked. Oh. <laughs> wasn't first pitch, and I don't think there was any intent Bases there. were loaded. Yeah, obviously. No intent there. But, Yeah. Uh, people uh, may recall that these two teams had a bit of a moment uh, a couple World Baseball Classics ago. I'm I'm just saying. I, I think we're probably going to see John Axford get his uh, in, in a game that's no longer competitive. Uh, get his last, uh, maybe his last baseball appearance. If I'm Mexico and I'm looking at a bullpen that has John Axford, Philippe Beaumont, and Adam Lowen in it. I don't want none. Not not as I'm heading on to more important games. No kidding. Uh, let's see uh, Blue Jays prospect Deson Brown get into this game. That'd be mm-hmm. cool. All right. Uh, speaking of Canada baseball, we'll talk to Ryan Dempster next. Canadian Baseball Hall of Famers. The fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.